Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, from across the pond, the Kingsman to my statesman, Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? Uh, John Burke, John Burke. I'm good, I'm pumped for another week of of the BAMP, as we just said off air. Coffees at the ready, no donuts, because we're both being good, and also they're shut round here. But I'm ready to talk some film, dude. I enjoy your company every Tuesday, my friend. But firstly, how are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, got like you said, a nice hot coffee because it is actually cold here on this Groundhog Day that we're recording. Of course, uh, we've already recorded a... it three times, but oh, yeah, you weren't telling you on that. The loop is weird, but uh, it keeps <laughs> resetting every time Matt farts. I don't understand what that's <laughs> about. But um, so uh, hey, it's cold out there today here in Florida. It was um below fifty with this wind chill that's like biting. Like it's normally not so bad. But when the wind is on, it's like none of our clothes are equipped for that. So it is like all of us are just whining and complaining. But at the same time, I like it because it's like it's cool. You know, it's nice because it's so hot here other times that like for it to be kind of cold and I get to wear like a jacket and a long sleeve shirt and not like sweat to death. I kind of enjoy it, but it's supposed to get real cold tonight. In fact, like below 40 uh, for Florida. I know other countries are like, what? That's it? I was about to say, that's what it's been like all day here. It's been about under 40. It's been awful, man. The the, the weather currently is partly cloudy and a moderate breeze, 6 degrees centigrade, whatever that is. It's 30-something. So it's chilly here, my friend. It's going to get even colder this week. But, um, do you we guys we, we do, love uh, each other, don't we? Yeah. Oh, of course. So much so. Do you do you guys like celebrate Groundhog Day? Is that a thing outside of the States, or is that a stupid thing we do? It's just social media celebrates it. So I've um, been been watching everybody celebrate online but no it's not anything i only like most people probably my first uh, my introduction to groundhog day was the film yes and then ever since then it was just it, every time it's mentioned it just it, it, it brings back memories of the film as it should do of course uh but no nobody nobody's been throwing any street parties which is slightly annoying over here yeah um i mean we don't that's the thing like i've when i was a kid in my head i always pictured that there must be this like really lone camera guy in the middle of like a big empty field waiting for a groundhog to come out of a hole <laughs> and i was like what a crappy job that has to be and i didn't know about the punks tony phil celebration until the movie um nor did i ever really understand why or whatever and i, I we just uh watched this film in my film one class i taught um groundhog day a movie that i adore because i am a big big bill murray fan um in fact, I just got the uh, Groundhog Day pop vinyl. Uh, the Funko Pop came out this week, uh, and I was very excited because it's Phil Connors, but he comes with a little Phil Groundhog as well. Um, so I was very excited for that. But uh, it was fun teaching it. And then today um, I had that class, and so I started acting like it was last week again. Like, all right, guys, we're going to be watching Groundhog Day. And a few people caught on that it was today is Groundhog Day and whatever. But um, they're, they're the ones who get extra credit then. Right, the ones who were alert and paying attention. But um, – but we're not here to uh, to talk Groundhog Day exactly. We are here to look at a new movie. Yes, indeed. As is the Bat Boy. It's one of the first uh, of the Warner Brother straight to HBO Max movies that have come out so far this year. And if not, I mean, technically Wonder Woman would fall into that. But technically that was last year. So this year. Mm -hmm. um, and the Wonder Woman thing was an exclusive just Wonder Woman. And then it was like a week later they announced they were just dropping all their movies on HBO Max this year. 
Um, and so this was the first big one, and it's The Little Things, uh, directed and written by John Lee Hancock, um, starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Exclu- mostly those are the three big like Oscar former Oscar winners, um, Chris Bauer and uh, Michael. I think it's I think it's Michelle, Hyatt. but it looks like Michael Hyatt. Um, oh. But I was pretty sure that was a, a female, so maybe her name is Michael. I'm not sure. Um, but IMDb.com. I love this. I don't know. IMDb is updating their site. And so I don't know if the synopsis that's underneath the picture is like their attempt to streamline the synopsis. Um, but <laughs> oh, yeah. it, if cool. not, this is the worst written synopsis ever. Cause it's two cops track down a serial killer. It's like any movie. Like there's so many movies. <laughs> It's that like that a, describes a, a mid nineties trailer Two cops track down a serial killer. Yeah. It's like, okay. If you're really trying to sell that this movie is not super original, you've nailed it. But uh, <laughs> this is also from IMDb. Uh, this is a further down. I had to like go to the bottom. Cause I wanted at least something that like made this movie, like give you an idea of what this movie is. And it's Deke played by Denzel Washington is a burnout currents burnout has a different term nowadays because it doesn't mean he's a pothead guys it means he's just he's tired he's old he's getting he, he's the danny glover of this operation so a burnout uh kern county california deputy uh sheriff teams up with baxter rami malik's character a crack let's see again these terms are bad a crack lasd detective he's a good detective he's not like into crack to nab a serial killer uh deke's nose for the crack. little things oh proves eerily accurate but his willingness to circumvent the rules and broils baxter in a soul-shattering dilemma it's this is so wordy anyways you get the general gist one's a young cop who's up and coming and he's idealistic the other is kind of burnout seeing the world we heard this before right and they are (laughs) uh they kind of team up to to bring down the serial killer that deke thinks could be connected to an old case boom better job than imdb did so 47 percent uh rotten tomato not not good 55 meta score a little a little better and a 6.3 IMDb user score. Um, again, you can see this in theaters right now or HBO Max. I watched it in the safety of my uh, man room on my TV uh, with HBO Max. Matt, how did you view this movie? Uh, I was lucky enough to receive a screener from our friends at WB. Mm. Very good, because I was concerned. I didn't want to send you off into the theaters. And I also know a lot of your your country is on lockdown still. Oh, yes. The whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Over here in Florida, we are running like there is nothing going on. So who knows? Um, but, no, no, I managed to get a link sent over. So I uh, watched it from the comfort and safety, relative safety of my own living room. Now, normally here, I would start to give my take on the film and I'm going to, but I want to ask, did you read that article that I have that says click here? I did indeed. Okay. So I knew very little about John Lee Hancock outside of that. He directed the blind side and uh, I'm, I'm not, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. I don't dislike that movie by any means. I, you know, it was good. Sandy B always brings it. Um, it's hard to, to like be upset about that movie. It's a feel good kind of film. Oh, and I also, uh, love the founder. Um, yes, I, I love that film. Yeah. I'm a big Michael Keaton fan. Uh, I used to be a big fan of the golden arches until I realized they were killing me slowly. Um, and I, I but I really enjoyed that film. I haven't seen saving Mr. Banks or the highwayman or the rookie, uh, or the Alamo, all movies that I'm aware of though. I had no idea they were the same director, like no clue. In fact, even looking at that list doesn't seem to have like a, a consistent, style or tone um now what i learned in this article though was that uh the script for the little things was written back in 1993 Mm -hmm. which if you haven't watched this yet listener please know we don't spoil the movie although i have to say of all the films we've reviewed on this podcast which is quite a few at this point i have never wanted to talk full spoiler more than this film. wow whoa Um, and uh 
I'm not going to, but part of it is because this movie is getting a lot of comparisons to seven, um, a, a lesser seven, a knockoff of seven to say the least. But this film technically was written two years before seven, but didn't get made. And that's pretty yeah. compelling. I mean, that is assuming, and again, I'll, I'll never, I'll never want to call somebody out, but I kind of am. That's assuming that the script hasn't gone through any kind of changes, any kind of rewrites since then. If this was a script in 1993, then fair dues, it, it, because there is, there are a lot of similarities to how uh, Fincher's film Seven plays, not plays out necessarily in terms of the narrative, but there's a lot of beats that are the same. Like you mentioned, you've got um, Deke and uh, Rami Malek's character Baxter. It's the Mills and Somerset all over again, and the like, visually it's very similar as well in terms of like the murky yeah. palette. But if it was mm-hmm. written in '93, then fair dues. Now the visual element you can totally call as a ripoff because just because the script was written doesn't mean you had a look yet. The look does have a very seven vibe to it, um, and uh, like to a degree, the casting is is not quite the same. But you do have this, you know, there's some similarities to the cast decisions that. Like, Older Denzel versus the, at the time a fairly older Morgan Freeman, you know, in, in that grizzle role. Um, and then you, you're a uh, younger detective, up and coming, kind of good looking. Um, I don't know if you would really compare Rami Malik and Brad Pitt to me. I'm Brad wins hands down, but you know, other I know people really like Rami Malik, so cool. I'm a big fan of Rami Malik as well. And but yeah, I like the, 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 the characters saying, are, oh no, I see what you mean. Uh, it's one of those like, unorthodox, good looking chaps, sure, sure. Yeah, by no means am I saying he's bad looking. I'm just saying oh, no, if I'm course. comparing looks, I'm going Brad Pitt, especially Brad, that movie, Brad Pitt, right? Like seven, Brad Pitt. Oh, dude, when he's like, when he's when he's because he's the young upstart in that film, right? He's like, like trying to prove a point. Whereas Rami Malek here is, he wears a shirt and tie, and he's 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 very much just to come out of like cop school when he's by the book type character. Yes, but um, so I uh, this movie is not doing anything particularly new. Um, it is a middling film in a lot of ways, as far as like the the plot and the story. Um, I I I was once very up on Jared Leto. I was like, yeah, Jared Leto, he's got talent. And I am at this point like, oh man, I'm so tired of Jared Leto. Um, and <laughs> I will, Jared. I, I attribute a lot of it to both the, his performance in Suicide Squad, but also the antics that came out of the Suicide Squad, like the the nonsense method acting, non like chaos. Um. I think I, I tolerate one method actor like consistently and that's uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. DTL, yep. And mainly because I've never really heard anything negative about his method acting. Like I haven't heard him like being a horrible person because he's method acting. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you hear that a lot. Jim Carrey's story with uh, and the Andy Kaufman role, there's a whole documentary about how awful he was during that. And like Jared Leto, maybe he wasn't totally awful, but he was also not cool it, it it seems more pretentious than it seems like a necessary skill right mm-hmm. yeah and while i heard nothing about that with this movie this character and the, the portrayal he's i don't know i'm very aware that it's jared leto being a character mm-hmm. and um and i think it's because of all of the bad relation the bad press and things of that nature i i do think he, i i think he's got talent like he's not like he's a talentless actor or anything but and this particular character does kind of fit into that role at times but i i have found myself unable to stop thinking about this movie since i watched it and not in a bad way like i generally i think i like this kind of neo-noir vibe you know it's 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 not gonna be a happy movie overall 
Um, it definitely it made me want to watch Seven again in a way that I like. I have I've I'm a Fincher fan. I like a lot. I I think I like all of his movies. I haven't seen Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but um, there's so much that is like I've been like I really want to sit down and watch Seven again. It's been a while since I've last watched it. I've seen a lot of clips from it over the years. Like studying film, you you're gonna come across it because it's just like a masterclass of so many things. Um, but I I really this movie got me really pumped about it. Um, I think there's some really compelling themes that are are messed with here that you can sit and think on. And so while it's not perfect, it's not executed in every way. I did find it very engaging. I was never like bored by this movie. Um, I thought the performance, especially from Denzel is, is so effortless and just, I mean, he's, he's Denzel. He's a master at this craft. So you put him in anything, he can make it engaging. And I found that collectively true. Um, I thought Malik is fine. Um, I don't think this is his best performance I've seen him in, but I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I, I don't feel like he got as much to do as they could have given him. And uh, Leto, you know, he's he's a little a little obnoxious, but not not horrible. Um, and again, I think for the most part, the performance fits the role. Um, I've had some interesting conversations with people about this movie, and that I, I enjoyed that. And it seems like uh, the people that I've talked to who aren't like critics or aren't uh, watching a th- you know 300 movies a year were engaged with this film and i think that's cool because it is yeah. it's, it's darker tone it's not an easy it's not super accessible um it does not give any I, I don't feel like it gives away anything easy it doesn't take any like real shortcuts with the narrative or anything like that um there's no like box of exposition that just drops in anywhere What's like in the it, box yeah so uh I I like this. I don't think it's great. I would say it's like middle middle of the road, but very very uh, solid popcorn. Better than some like if we look back to last year's January releases and the theatrical ones at that. This is this is would be on the high end for a January release for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the those who aren't in the critic game because I think we sometimes lose sight of that. Where and I don't just mean you and me necessarily, but you know, people online who talk about film critiquing every last uh, frame out there. Whereas a lot of people who go to watch films, they just want to have a good time or they just want to get into the story. They're not critiquing necessarily. And to hear that, you know, just people who want to sit down and watch a decent film are enjoying this is cool because as the article you sent says, and as a lot of people have said, you know, this isn't, you don't really get many films like this anymore. And you don't, I mean, you get a few, a handful a year, but, they're kind of a dying breed almost, I think, or they're all very rare breed anyway, more niche. And I li- I've always liked these kind of things, like, like I say, Seven, things like Zodiac. I've got some Zodiac vibes from this as well. Um, those kind of films where you can be drawn in by the mystery. And at times I was in this film. Again, I, I kind of agree with you that I, uh, I, don't think it- I don't think this film was great. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's the dumpster fire that I've seen a few, so a few people say it is. I just think it's, yeah. I just think it's all right, like consistent across the board. I mean, I think Jared Leto to me, he did take me out because he felt like he was in from a different film at times. He he felt just because, like I say, Denzel is so effortless, and he 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 falls into that um, detective Somerset role. If, if I have to really compare it, really well, to kind of jaded, grizzled cop um, who's been there and seen it all. Uh, Rami Malek is good. But I also feel that he's too straight. He's literally, 
he there's no there's no like flexibility to his character, and I know that's the whole point. But he's literally like his character is like attitude and manner and the chiselled out of stone. Like there's no there's no swaying this guy. I think maybe once or twice in the film he may have smiled. I'm not sure, but he didn't quite feel quite so effortless as Denzel. And Jared Leto was doing what Jared Leto does. He's bringing that, bringing the energy. And like you, I don't think Jared Leto's a bad actor whatsoever. I think he's a bit odd, but I don't think he's a bad actor. I don't think in this film he was slightly, I think he could have reined it in somewhat because other, other neo-noir films, they're kind of a shady slash oddball character. They 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 carry a bit more of a, a, a menace to them. And he did, Jared Leto carried a, like a menace in his eyes. You know, he looks, he, he's, he's method. It looks like he hasn't slept for about a year whilst filming this, which is fine. But I didn't I didn't really get too much menace from his character. And even in f- sort of moments that ape other, other films, I was like, mm. it, it just felt consistent to me. It's, it was, it, I think actually, to be fair, it started off really good. Also, I think the first 20 minutes are great in this film. I really do think that. And then it kind of goes down slightly and then it kind of plateaus about 50% kind of capacity for me. It's not great. It's not awful. It's just fine. And like you, I never got bored during it. I always wanted to know what was going on and I wanted to know where was this going and, you know, who done it and all the kind of questions you get from these films. But again, then come the end, again, we don't, we don't spoil the end. I'm never going to spoil the end. But come the end, I was slightly unsatisfied by the ending because I don't think John Lee, I think John Lee Hancock was trying to be a bit too clever with the uh, with the ending. And I'm not for me, I'm not sure he, he, he pulled it off completely, but... Mix that in with the washed out visuals. The score was the score matched the visuals for me. It wasn't it wasn't incredible. Again, not bad, but not awful. It's Thomas Newman did the score. It was just fine. And that's probably the best thing I can say about this film is the performances were I mean, yeah, Denzel is was great, Rami Melek was was good, and Jaroletto was good doing his own thing, but at times took me out. It it, it was good. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know if it's underselling it or overselling it to some people, but it was just good. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to, like, this isn't a movie I think you have to, like, drop what you're doing to watch. And if you've never seen Seven, I would say you're better off spending your time watching Seven. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do find this to be quite engaging. And I, I like this type of, like, cop mystery where it's it's got dark undertones. Um, you know, it does feel, it's it's set in the 90s, which I, I didn't pick up on immediately. But I think the moment that it clicked in my head, I needed to, like, what when is this it was when he got a page uh Rami Malek's character gets like page I'm like hold up what when is this happening title card at the beginning it was a title I, card at the beginning that. but I wasn't sure if there was like a time jump though yeah I I, I did miss the title card so my bad on that one um it was 1990 I think it said it was yeah, sexy. It, it is it is uh 90 and then you it, it does look like it like it's not a criticism I just was not up on that at first i'm like oh yeah clearly this is 90s um which helps in a lot of ways because there's no cell phones and uh that uh, some of the scenes would not work if there were cell phones or at least you would be they'd have to fabricate some reason for there not to be cell phones like oh the the battery died or whatever you know like, that happens no, so much right. um so the, a lot of those things it benefits from that but it also it does feel a little dated in a lot of ways that aren't good you know it, it does feel like a story that was written a long time ago and uh it hasn't been updated to really hit all the some of the things that it it broaches or brings up maybe don't play as well now as they would have played 20 years ago um and then you know it's it's still like some of these things are sadly timeless you know like uh this these obsessive stories this this person who has a hard time 
of separating like work and, and reality. And um, I, I think a lot of what it, it's dealing with is interesting, just like innately, even if the movie doesn't necessarily do a great job of, of tackling it, it, it brings up interesting points that if you are engaging with it, will keep you going and keep you like thinking about the film. So in that way, I, I still think it's successful. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely could be better. And again, there are better similar movies like seven that are, you know, 100%. Yes. That's by without any hesitation. Oh, tremendously better movie yet. That doesn't make this movie bad. It just makes it fine. So it just exists in our world now is pretty much it. And I, I, I like, I love these kind of films. Usually like the, like the murder mystery, neo-noir thrillers where you, you kind of know it may not end particularly well, but you damn well want to see how it gets there. Uh, and I usually like these and I, I actually had high hopes. And of course, a lot of that was having three Academy Award winners at the front, at the top billing in this film. And do you think, um, do you think that's part of the reason maybe why people are being hard on it? Yeah. Again, we've both said it's not, excellent but do you think people are being harder on it because of the talent that's in attached to it i think so to a degree i also think um i, I mean definitely because you're gonna get scrutiny over those three actors uh, although you can't like none of the actors are bad um i i also think because you when you look at his uh filmography hancock's filmography it does have like the journeyman attachment to it you know um he doesn't have a clear voice when you look at those movies to me um, there maybe there's a thematic tie-in that I'm not thinking of between, and again, I've only seen two of his films to be fair, but just what I know about those other movies, they don't seem to be like, like you look at Fincher's filmography, there is a clear thematic pattern throughout his movies. The things that he's interested in discussing, um, are there. And, uh, I don't know that you see that here. So maybe it's just like, maybe someone else could have directed this. Um, and other people were at some point in line to direct this and it just never happened. Um, Although again, I don't feel like it's poorly directed. Like I, I don't, I don't see any glaring errors. That's why I don't get some of the real harsh criticism because it. I don't see a glaring error. I see things that I feel like things could be a little better. I feel like, like you said, with the ending, it's not quite like it's not perfect, but it's also not. It's not a belly flop kind of a dive, right? Like it's just like a wobbly land. It, it's it's there. You can take it for what it is. It could definitely have a bigger punch or a bigger impact. Um, there's a few conveniences here along the way, which you get in every film before anyone says, but there are a few here, which are, you know, they aid the plot quite nicely and certain things are also quite surface level things just happen. And then, well, that's it really. So it just, it doesn't really elaborate on its premise as much as it could do. It is very, for me, it's just very straight edged. It's, this is what it's all about. Here we go. We try to be a bit clever at points, but it doesn't quite work. But again, it's just good. As you just said, it's not bad, and there's nothing in it which is like blaringly obvious, which is bad. It's just, it's just good. It's fine. Well, like to I'm me. just scanning the people that I follow on Letterbox, and it's like uh, David Ehrlich, three stars, mm-hmm. right? And that's the highest rating that there is. There's no, no one's higher than three stars, which is kind of where I would put it too. Is like three stars. Um, and then there's there's a couple of two stars, a couple of one and a half stars. I feel like one and a half and two is is a little harsh. Like two and a half, three, I think is is reasonable. Um, I look at I w- that out of 10. So two and a half, five out of oh. 10, six out of 10. That's how yeah. I look at it. So, or if you're going to uh, attribute a percentage to that 55, 60%. And yeah, I think the three out of three out of five, six out of 10, 60%. I think that's where it falls. Cause like I've said, it, it, for me, it's just consistent. It, it's not either here or there. It's just in the middle. And I, I guess 
Um, it, I think there's going to be some backlash for this being that HBO Max movie. You know, this is one of the first ones dropped right onto HBO Max. Um, I mean, like even Wonder Woman got a lot of hate, and like we both were kind of harsh on Wonder Woman too, really. But um, I wonder if there is like a kind of backlash because we're not seeing it in the theater, it, even if it's not. Like I have no, I don't have any hard feelings for HBO Max. I'm excited that we're going to get to see these movies because. While I would prefer to watch all of these films on the big screen, I also want to watch some of these movies. I don't want 2022 to get here and there'd be two years back catalog of films that we have to watch. That's you know, exactly the problem, isn't it? If you don't get them out, some because some films, I get that. I know Disney are desperately holding on to Black Widow. They're they're trying their hardest, but it comes to a point where it's like right, like like HBO have decided and Warner and AT and T, like The Conjuring Three. I use that a lot. I want Mortal Kombat. Would that really be worth pushing them back a year, or could they just put them out on streaming? And clear, clear up, clear up twenty twenty two and onwards for some of their other films. So yeah, I, I'm with yeah. you. And I get they want to recoup expenses and stuff. I, I totally get that. And again, I am a box office. I, I like going to the theater, um, but I I do think like you can't pull everything back. You got one. You want to keep us excited about movies, and if you're only dropping the ones that are kind of meh, we're gonna not be as excited about movies. Like. Again, some people are always going to be excited about movies, but like the general populace, if there's good TV coming out and there are mediocre movies coming out, they're going to start leaning towards TV. They already are. Like you, the, the signs have been for like the last 15 years, TV has been a bigger draw for people. They they like the serialization of it. They like the uh, the long term narrative storytelling, even if it gets really bad after too many seasons. Um, I, I constantly hear people like complain. Uh, like my students will often, uh, when we watch a movie, their first question is, "Is there a sequel?" They want more. And I'm like, no, why can't it just be this one? Like, why do you need more? Usually more is not better with, with stories like this. Um, and so I think there could be some heat coming towards this movie simply because, like you said, it is a big cast. Um, it, it, You know what, though? I, I do, considering when this is coming out and, and the cast, it does not feel like an Oscar movie to me. I thought it was going to be. And I thought, was, was it January release because the... Uh... I believe the nominations, I think the uh, eligibility closes at the end of February. So they've got any, you've got this month to get your film out. And then I think March is when the nominations are announced. So I thought it was a late play thinking, but you've got Denzel, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. You've got a, you've got, you've got big names leading this cast. It's a, a neo-noir thriller could lend itself to some, some big moments, some wonderful chances for the actors to stretch their, stretch their legs and flex their muscles. But obviously maybe it was put on January for another reason. Yeah. I mean, it's because again, it's not the worst I've seen in a January month by any means. Um, But it's also, it doesn't have the prestige vibe outside of, I mean, yes, these actors are going to get Oscar conversations going because they are all former Oscar winners, especially Denzel. But I don't feel like these performances feel like there's no big, like even I don't feel like there's like a big monologue moment, you know, like the, the one scene that I can think of that feels a little like Oscar-y feels more melodramatic and a little silly than it felt Oscar worthy. You know, was that with Denzel uh, and Remy? It, it was Denzel and yes, but also with Leto in a, uh, in a room. I won't say anymore. So okay, yeah. there was another one with Denzel and Remy. Uh, I can't even remember where they were now, but, and I didn't watch it that long ago, but that to me felt more like, you know, they they let Denzel out. They said, you know, you know, you you run with this, and mm-hmm. um, and Rami was looking at him, thinking, "Wow, look at this guy go!" 
But that that so it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was looking for those moments and I found one, but I do know the scene you meant. Uh, so yeah, that could have been it. But yeah, there wasn't really enough, and you don't need big moments to sell a film. But this film didn't have any, whereas some films, yeah. similar films, have that, have those moments or have that. And again, this, this film did try to build up to that kind of, you know, nerve shredding ending or final sequence, but it just didn't have it for me. And throughout, it didn't have enough to kind of make me think this is going to go to another level at some point. It literally was just like watching a detective solve a case. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no frills attached to it. It's just, well, here's the case. What should we do to get from A to B to C? And that's kind of how it felt until we got like, more into the final third. But it was quite by numbers at times. But again, for, for like a sound and like a broken record, yeah. it wasn't a bad film. Yep. And that is our review of The Little Things, uh, which you can watch now in theaters or on HBO Max if you have that service or if you have access to that service. Sorry, Matt. Um, it has not hit the UK yet. I don't know when it's going to, but thankfully Sky are going to be picking up most of the films. So uh, fingers crossed it'll be okay. Well, with that, let's move into our next segment where we look at chuffed headlines, uh, movie and pop culture news that caught our attention this week. Matt, why don't you start us off? What headline grabbed your uh, attention and would not let go? Well, this is a serious one, man. We, we Sometimes we go for these kind of headlines of levity and it does, and I understand it can make bring people's day down, but you know, it was just an old man yelling at the cloud, man. It's uh, the headline, Paul Bettany urges lazy teens to stop watching WandaVision and shovel some snow. Um, I do jest there are no angry man yelling at a cloud. Basically, Paul Bettany, this is, I just found it quite fun, as is Paul Bettany suddenly re- suddenly come out as this comic genius. Um, there's the, uh, the, you know, the northeast of the United States obviously has these wild snowstorms and it's not good. So I obviously hope everyone's okay over there, but... Um, People, uh, Paul Bettany put out a tweet saying, Dear teens across the US, it's a big snowstorm. I've just shoveled my sidewalk, then walked the dog and saw other ancients <laughs> shoveling their sidewalks. Teens, stop watching hashtag WandaVision for five minutes and shovel some snow, you lazy puppies. If you've already shoveled, ignore my rude message. Um, so it turns out, of course, he was only having a bit of fun, but it was just nice to see. I, I saw this and I immediately thought, oh no, if we've got another Russell Crowe situation where... Paul Bettany's gone on oh, Twitter boy. and he's just attacked teenagers being like, you know, stop watching this show. And I'm thinking, hold on, is there some controversy? Why doesn't Paul Bettany want people to watch his own his own show? Um, and why is he attacking teenagers? And then it turns out that he was just having a bit of fun saying, look, us old timers can get out and shove, shovel snow. So stop watching this WandaVision lark and uh, come and help ourselves and do some real work for once. So um, mainly the headline caught my eye because I thought we were going to have another um, repeat of, Russell Crowe, whereas Paul Bettany seems he might be, he might be awful behind the scenes, but he certainly doesn't seem like that. Paul Bettany seems too wholesome to be anything other than just a nice guy. But uh, I'm guessing you saw this, John, and now you've uh, unsubscribed unsubscribed from Disney Plus. Yes, actually, uh, no, I I was mad because I don't have any snow to shovel, and so I felt attacked. Um, Here in Florida, we know we don't see a lot of snow. He's mocking Um, you. I know. So I was a little a little peeved, but. but no, uh, WandaVision is too compelling uh, to quit watching. I won't say any more for the moment, but um, I like Paul Bettany too. I've actually, um, I've I've been a fan. I always, I love the the story of him getting the Vision role, which has been told and retold and told, told, told so many different times. But I do love that story because it is, um, it's one of those good Hollywood stories where it's like this guy, his career looked like it was over for some reason. And then boom, he's okay, you know, so. Yep. And obviously started in the MCU as, but, 
was it like uh, Iron Man's like the voice of his suit yeah, Jarvis. Or, or something? Yeah, yeah, Jarvis, that's it. So he's yeah. had a he's had a journey from being Jarvis to calling out lazy teens on Twitter, but it was all it was all in jest. So um with one division on the rise at the minute, it did catch my eye. But thankfully, it was all good fun. But uh, what did you go for this week? Something equally as serious? Uh, maybe. But, you know, one thing we've talked about a lot, and we kind of even were just talking about it uh, as an, a side note, is the, the the love of theaters that you and I have had. We've been kind of talking about what does the future of theaters look like and things like that. And it's everyone who's into movies is, of course, aware of this trend. Like Regal's shutting down more and more of their theaters. Uh, saying they're not going to open certain ones back up and things like that. That's um, Cineworld where you are, Regal here. And um, so seeing this headline really grabbed my attention. Steven Spielberg writes for Empire about why cinemas will never die. Uh, why cinema, excuse me, will never die. And uh, it's a part of um, an Edgar Wright issue that I think the magazine is out. I actually need to go and try to find a copy of this magazine because um, Edgar Wright, curated a massive celebration of cinema going uh with hollywood icons and um a bunch of directors wrote in articles including but not limited not just directors i'm sorry film enthusiasts uh in- including but not limited to james cameron daisy ridley spike lee daniel mm-hmm. craig and of course the man himself steven spielberg and um spielberg's that you can find this on empire they've already they've just let a few excerpts out of spielberg's writing um the whole thing really uh move me i am a big spielberg fan i i don't if you grew up when we grew up it's hard to not associate movies and, and spielberg right like yeah, i mean course. so many of my big moments of cinema come from the spielberg film mm-hmm. and um that's I, again true for so many i'm wearing i'm literally wearing et socks right now and uh <laughs> i thought you said uh, i'm literally wearing et i was like that's got morbid yeah you know well when you when you hunt you must skin things but um the quote that really grabbed me that I decided to pull, um, we've become a community alike in heart and spirit or at any rate alike in having shared for a couple of hours, a powerful experience in his kind of idea of why we go to movies. Like even people like myself who are generally introverted, there is a, still a, a, a need, a longing for community, a sense of belonging. And I have always found that with the crowds in which I attend movies, even if for a lot of times I prefer the movie theaters to be more empty than, than full, especially post COVID, I will always want them to be as empty as possible. Um, At the same time, there is something about laughing together or crying together. I mean, one of my favorite uh, festival experiences was seeing um, won't you be my neighbor. And uh, at the end of that movie, I, Mr. Rogers is a a hero of mine. I've talked about many times. I was bawling so hard at the end of that movie i I was like usually if i cry quote unquote cry at a movie it's like a tear rolls down my face right here i was crying i was sobbing making noises and i got really self-conscious that i was like sobbing and so like i i caught myself you know i I pulled it back and then i heard sobbing all around me and realized that it wasn't just me who was like emotionally shattered by the movie everyone in the theater so there was this like communal uh cathartic crying session at the end of won't you be my neighbor and like things like that you don't get those every screening of course but when they happen become these major memories and this kind of shared experience even if you don't ever talk to any of those people directly the fact that they were feeling the same way you were feeling just gives you that that emotional catharsis and uh i miss that about going to the movies so much i mean 
um, over the last couple of years, seeing like all the Avengers films and those are always large crowds and the star Wars films, um, even though last Jedi and return rise of Skywalker, those screenings varied very greatly within the audiences that I saw them. Um, some people were very mad. Some people were very happy and those could be for either one of those movies, just depending on where you follow them. Um, but, but still like there was that communal star Wars group and, uh, you get that at the festivals, you get those, those, the people that go to festival movies are generally just super enthusiastic about films. That's why they're at a festival. So all of that, a community that I love and adore, and I am, I'm ever so saddened that a year has gone by almost where I've not been in the theater after many years of consistently going every week, you know? And uh, I, I was encouraging that Spielberg, Spielberg truthfully believes that no matter what people want to go to the movies like yes there's all these fears that with everything streaming that people won't want to leave their couch but i think there's something about going to the movies and spielberg does too and that that that's encouraging in a time when i mean we may not the theater market may be severely different by the time they can truly reopen we may not have big chains anymore um but i think people will buy the theaters that exist and they will find ways to get movies into them um, and it might be that we see in America, at least the studio system return where studios own the theaters and we are only going to see universal movies at universal owned theaters and things like that. So it might be different, but I think he's right. I think there will be some version of movie theaters left, whether those are art house cinemas or independent cinemas, or again, these big studio owned, um, screenings. I think we will have movies back on the big screen once it's safe to do so. Yes, well, I, I certainly hope so, my friend. Um, and who better to hear from, well, John Burke and Steven Spielberg <laughs> in the same sentence. But yeah, man, what more can I add? Up? And then you see, you've hit the nail on the head there. When when it's just right, you know, when when the film is right, when you get the right audience, and then everything comes together, there's nothing better. Like you say, whether, it, whether everybody's crying together, whether everyone's having, laughing together. Um, I've always said the the two events that stick out most to me in theatres in terms of the audience engagement was the uh, was Infinity War and Endgame, as you can imagine. And I've said before, partly joking, but also not. Like in, in the UK, you know, we're a conservative bunch. We don't uh, we don't show our emotions too much. But, God, man, in those screenings, everyone was going mad. You know, it was gasping here, laughing, crying, cheering, shouting, no. It's like, wow, this is, this is like being at a sporting event. It's, it's great. And it elevated my... I enjoyed the films anyway, but it elevated my enjoyment slightly more. But then I've also been to films like uh, Hereditary, which is the worst film I've seen in cinemas because of the audience, because mm. a group of them just gave up and just started heckling the screen. It's like, oh. I, can't even get, I can't even get into the damn film. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't make me never want to go back. And I want to go back to the theater, man, for all the reasons you just said to share those moments, but also just to experience it for, for myself. There are some films which are just powerful. Even if it's just you in the cinema, just seeing it on, as it was intended on those big screens of that sound, you know, it just, it can transcend things. And it's I, any, I mean, if I'd seen the little things on screen, probably wouldn't have enjoyed it much more, but it just would have felt different. It just would have felt different. And, I miss that feeling, man. And we dropped it on the socials this week about, you know, is anyone else missing these, the sit the theater as much as we are, but, uh, and we know a lot of you are, but if Steven Spielberg is saying, you know, one day we're, we're a community, one day we'll be back together again, then who am I to argue with that? And I absolutely, I absolutely 
uh, believe that. And it is a powerful experience, and Spielberg's been responsible for a lot of that. Certainly, like I say, in John's uh, John's life and mine as well, and the influence he's had on films. How many times do we say a film is Amblin esque or Spielberg esque type? Because sure. the man is the man. The man has given us so many of those moments, and you, I can't imagine seeing like ET or Jurassic Park on HBO Max for the first time in your front room would have the same effect. Even back in back in the day, you just wouldn't. You just wouldn't, would it? So, but we'll get there, man. We'll get there, and uh, hopefully, we get more. I mean, Spielberg's got West Side Story coming at at the end of this year. Whether that gets uh, bumped or not, but it's coming out right at the end of December. So we may get a Spielberg film in cinemas before the end of the year. We're talking West Side Story. That's the one. Yeah, it was supposed to come out last December, and that got you know obviously pushed back for a lot of reasons. Uh, I'm that's I was already apprehensive about that just because I love West Side Story. So like that's a huge remake and for Spielberg to take it on. I'm I'm like, all right, cool. But wow, that's a huge thing. So, yeah, I, I hope we get to see it. I hope we get to see uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's. Um, uh, what is it in, in the Bronx, in the block? Uh, into the height, in the heights, in the heights. I want to see that so bad. I, I know he just did the, like the music. He's not directing it, but I really want to see that. Um yeah, all right. That's that's the headlines for the week. Let's get into what we've been consuming since our last episode. So this is media consumption, movies, TV, video games, music, podcasts, etc. Things that we use to pass the time. Matt, what have you been consuming? Uh, no donuts, but uh, hopefully next week. I have been consuming a few films this week. Um, four of them for a a horror film festival. And uh, one call which I uh, was given the op- opportunity to cover, and it's only for a few days. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I found I want I want to bump up my watch list this year, and it was an interesting one because uh, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while. But it's the actual premise of it. It's called the um, the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, and what it does uh, basically is it showcases horror films or horror cinema because it's it's feature films, short films, and more. That's uh, that's directed, written, or produced by women uh, or non-binary filmmakers. So they they create a space for female voices, however they want to use that voice, whether it's you know like a nasty film or an uplifting, well, ho- uplifting horror film, but to kind of get their voices out there a bit more in in a genre which uh, is best known for in horror. Females are best known in horror for other reasons, thanks to the eighties usually, um, and the uh, the seventies and eighties how women are depicted but so all of the films are in part heralded uh by a by a woman or a non person a non-binary gender behind the camera so that was quite exciting and um the films i've watched are called the returned they're all into they're international as well a bit like fantasia they're from all over the place but they are geo-locked to germany obviously berlin uh one called the returned which is argentinian a film called the stylist another one called time of molting which was also at fantasia another one called darkness and um i won't say too much because the embargo is kind of out by the time this drops but just in case uh the stylist i thought was very very good uh the return was fine time of molten was all right and darkness was pretty damn good as well so two or two of the four i think were pretty good actually and the other two were fine but i just wanted to see what a different festival which showcased different voices could could offer plus hey shine a light shine a light on something like that i'm all for that so Four films from the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. The Return to the Stylist, Time of Molten and Darkness, which if uh, hopefully they get wider distribution, you guys get to see it. Um, 
I've watched two the, the Robert Eggers filmography, The Lighthouse and The Witch, this week because we're covering that on NPM this week. Um, so you know, listen out for that. But really like, really, really like The Witch or The Witch. Sorry, The Lighthouse was bonkers. And I said to John last week, I'd seen, um, I'd watched. Uh, Can you be my? Well, sorry, another uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood and Peanut Butter Falcon. So I had to lean, lean round and see what it's called for a minute. Then um, two really uplifting films. And John also sent me The Lighthouse. I was like, well, this will be this. This will top it off. And it's weird. It's a good film, but it's so weird. I knew it that going in, it was odd. But I love the style of that film, like the way it's, the way it's shot, the color, the colors, but the black and white and the, the performances. It's so odd, isn't it, man? Yeah, you gotta you gotta make sure not to kill the seabird, Matt. That's the key. Mm. That is the kill. I do that too often in life, you know. Sometimes I just throw a rock and seabird gets hit. Um, and I also watch Drive because I cover that on the back row, uh, the Nicholas Winding Road film, Nicholas Winding Refn film, Ryan Gosling, Kerry Mulligan. Uh, what a film! I I love Drive, which is why I covered it. But I love Drive. I covered it with my friend Bespin Bulletin. And I mean, uh, do you I, do you like Drive? Yeah, I like Drive a lot. Um, I. I'm mixed on Reffin. Um, I, I really, I don't know if any movies ever bothered me more than Neon Demon. Like, and cause there's, there's a, there's a scene that really hits like a, a, like a scary, like uncomfortable area for me in a way that just, I was nauseous. It just, just, ah, ah. Um, but it's also I, I recognize that he's a he's an interesting filmmaker. He definitely has a distinct style and voice. Um, Drive is the, probably the only movie of his that really works for me, mm-hmm. and then everything else is a little much uh, at times. So, yeah, that's kind of what we agreed that he kind of peaked with Drive, and then has not gone downhill since, but just hasn't hit the heights. The Only God Forgives was good, uh, the Neon Demon didn't work for me, and it was William Friedkin called him out on Only God Forgives. <laughs> Refin said to Friedkin, "Only God forgives is a masterpiece." You don't say something like that to Billy Friedkin and try to get away with it. He absolutely—it's on YouTube. He savages him. If he said, "If you hit your head anytime soon, is there a medic here?" I think this guy's hit his head. He's something's wrong with him. He thinks only God forgives is a masterpiece, and it's a great um, interview. And look, I'm all for filmmakers um, being proud of their own work, but wait for somebody else to call your film a masterpiece before you bestow it upon yourself. And I love his visual style. I think I like his the style of his mm-hmm. films, but. I just think I think he picked with drive, and uh, as we said in the episode, like, everything you could imagine falling into place did. That's got one of the best score slash soundtracks of them all for me because it just works. It just it fits the tone and the vibe and the aesthetic of that film incredibly. So uh, drive, I watched that and had a great time with drive. I always do. And just for John, I said I'd do it. I promised I'd do it. I'm a man of my word most of the time. I watched one division. All four episodes. I finished oh, nice. tonight just before we came on. I was watching episode four. Again, no spoilers. We won't give any spoilers. But um, And I've said what I thought about the MCU. I very much enjoy it, but I'm not like, into it per se. I watch the films and then, you know, that's where my interest ends. I don't check out the law. I don't go into any further, really. I just think the films are good. Um, and I had I kind of like hadn't bothered with WandaVision because I wasn't overly, you know, bothered by the characters of Vision or Scarlet Witch. Uh, Wanda. Uh, so and I was like, I'm not sure I want to watch this. And it looked a bit zany. And I've said it all along, I didn't like the title WandaVision. I've never liked the title WandaVision. Um, so I just didn't really, wasn't, wasn't really going to bother with it. Um, I still don't think I'll bother with the Loki one because that doesn't seem as, in, as uh, enticing as this now does. But um, everyone has said, look, check it out. It's great fun. Everybody, 
Um, books, JB said it. Uh, my buddy Ant from NPM was saying, look, I'm, he's on the same bench as me with the M- MCB. He's saying, look, you got, this is great, but check it out. Everyone has said it's brilliant. And uh, I watched it and I'm, I was I was hooked. I'm in. I, I hear the con- I say complaints. I hear the people saying that the first two episodes were a lot of fun, but kind of didn't really go anywhere apart from very, very slowly set things up. And then by episode three, you're getting in there. Um, so I guess I was just spoiled by The Mandalorian, which in episode one of season one just went straight there. It's like, right, this is where we're going. Here we go. Uh, whereas one division was a slow burner, and I don't, I don't mind that. I think now I had the benefit of watching four episodes in uh, as part of a binge, so I didn't have to wait a week for those answers or for it to develop somewhat. Um, but I'm enjoying it, man. I'm really enjoying it. Um, Paul Bettany is wonderful. I mentioned his comedic timing; he's great. Um, Elizabeth Olsen is very, very, very good as well, and I'm liking it. I'm, I'm digging the tone, and I like the, I like the kind of shifts it takes and takes, and where it may possibly link into the wider universe is still to be known but it, 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 for someone who's not as entrenched in it it's very very enticing because i've been worried about phase whatever this is of marvel four, the new phase, phase four phase four i was going to say phase four but then for that reason i thought no it's phase five i've been worried about phase four not because i don't think the films are going to be good but if, if everybody said it once you once you like, hit that ceiling of an end game where do you go now i mean people liked far from home which was good but I mean, it was absolutely the hangover, and the films we've got coming up look enticing. But are they gonna uh, are they gonna appeal to the mass audiences like um, a Captain America film or an Iron Man and or even a Black Widow film might do? I'm still, but I'm actually, I'm possibly on that hypocrite, slightly more excited for films like Eternals, where I have no knowledge of anything going on. I can just go in and enjoy it. But but now it seems like they're gonna use. I think Feige's confirmed that the. This, the Disney Plus originals are going to tie into the MCU in a big way, so everything counts. So um, that's interesting to see where they go. And I'm quite quite like they, that they putting these shows out, but actually also caring about them and using them to further the story. But yeah, I'm enjoying it, dude. I, I thank you for the recommendation. It, hey, if it wasn't hey. for you, uh, basically telling me, look, you've got to watch it for next week, or else you're not on the show anymore. I, I, <laughs> well, I wouldn't have done it, but no, I'm really enjoying it, dude. And, and I think I believe you were as well. Yeah, I also watched episode four. Um, episode four is where it really hits the the high gear, I think. Yep. Um, which not to say anything, I've liked all the episodes, but four is where it's like, okay, time to bring in everything that you've been waiting for to kind of give some context of what this is. And it still leaves a lot of mystery open. Um, they're doing this weird thing. They dropped a trailer for episodes five and six, and I have not watched it because I'm like, I'm going to watch the show. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need a trailer to hype me up and I'd rather not be teased. I, I'll just wait until the episode drops and I'll watch it then. Um, so I haven't watched the new trailer. Uh, it seems like it's hyping people up though, but um, I, I really like four a lot. Uh, I've enjoyed all the episodes so far, but four, I was really like super into, I've seen some very fun uh, points made about some of the, the, the characters that are either introduced or something. And I'm trying not to spoil it. People are weird with TV right now, by the way. It seems like with Mando, they were giving you like five hours and then spoilers were everywhere. Um, this seems to be a little more tight lip, but I think by Monday, it's like spoilers are okay now. Like you had the weekend. If you didn't watch it, too bad for you. Uh, but I don't operate that way, so I'm not going to say anything in case you haven't had a chance yet. Maybe you don't have Disney+. Plus. Maybe you're waiting for the entire season to drop and then you'll subscribe for that one month and watch all of it. Um, I get that. I'm going to be doing that with a lot of Apple TV Plus things this year. Um but yeah, I, I definitely recommend WandaVision. 
Yep, I, I recommend John's recommendation. So uh, two big recommendations there. But um, that's that's pretty much me, dude. It's been just watching those films, catching up on those, and um, watching some Wonder and some Vision. But what about you, a, my friend? Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around from how my list is set up for a second. But I am a little sad that you don't have you listen to Nonpoint on your uh, your consumption this week since I straight up recommended them. But you know, I'm oh, saying this. <laughs> I'm saying this to you now. So that hopefully by next episode you'll have listened to at least their first album statement. Um, I, yeah, I've been now, so when I finish, I can do it. So I first heard Nonpoint um, in 2000. Uh, I was I had started college, and I was um, there was a like CD store uh, called Roadrunner Records, unrelated yes. to the actual record company. This was just okay. a small store um, that a- actually had like a big painting of the Looney Tunes Roadrunner on it. I'm not sure if that's why they ended up shutting down eventually. They probably got sued, but. Um, they were this kind of cool, like hipster CD store. So like, um, if you wanted to listen to something, they would unwrap it and you'd go sit at like an actual CD player and put the disc in and like, listen to it. And I was buying, I was there explicitly to buy Mudvayne's LD 5.0, their first album. And when I went up to the register, the guy's like, dude, you should listen to this band. And he hands me the CD for nonpoint and immediately fell in love. Like I listened to like three songs. and was like, Oh my God, I'm buying this. And, uh, found out they were from Florida. They're from down South. Nice. Uh, and from Fort Fort Lauderdale, I think. And uh, I, I love that album. It's still one of my favorite albums. And um, so in 2004, I, I, I graduate from college, right? The year before that, I have tickets to this big live concert called Livestock. Uh, it's a, it was a thing here in Florida. It was, a, it, was like a, it was like our version of Woodstock. It was like a three-day festival. We go Saturday. Um, we're there all day. We we are super sunburnt, super dehydrated, so we don't go Sunday. Sunday, Nonpoint is supposed to play. So I miss Nonpoint. I have tickets to see them technically, but we're too exhausted and tired to go. So I miss them. A couple months later, Ozfest comes to Tampa. Nonpoint is on the second stage. We oversleep. We get there before Nonpoint plays, but we don't understand how the show is set up. So we sit inside of Tropicana Field. This is a baseball stadium at the main stage, not realizing that you have to leave the stadium to go to the second stage. And I missed Nonpoint mm. again. So <laughs> twice I've had tickets to see a band that I consider my favorite band. Um, 2004, I graduate in uh, December and they're coming to house of blues. My friend buys me tickets as a graduation present. I finally get to see Nonpoint. I'm standing there at house of blues. I think uh, dry kill logic is playing before them. And I'm wearing a Nonpoint hoodie that I just bought from the merch stand. I turn around to the merch stand and the singer is at the merch table. Nice. Elias. I'm like, cool. I walk up I'm like, Hey man, I'm a big fan. He's like, Oh, thanks. I love your hoodie. And I'm like, thank you so much. Uh, six months later, my band contrast gets to open for nonpoint in Tampa um, by sheer coincidence. Um, and uh, they were already one of my favorite bands. This was right after their third album had came out where they, they had their biggest single, which was in the air tonight, which was in the uh, Michael Mann's Miami vice soundtrack. Um, the Phil Collins cover. And I, I'm a huge fan of this band. I got to open for them once. Uh, they were awesome live. Then I've seen them several times since then uh, because they still are one of my favorite bands. They are, um, unfortunately, their current lineup is not the original lineup. And uh, it, I, it's definitely noticeable. I miss their old guitar players so, so much. Their last album was okay. But I do think Elias is one of the most underrated lyricists. Um, their second album is much more melodic, but I love it. Um, that's development. And then, uh, every album until their last one, I think, is fantastic to some degree. And uh, yeah, I, it, Matt has not heard of them, which is probably true for most of our listeners. They are they are 
a national band, but they have struggled. They've they've changed labels a couple of times, and they are definitely they have a huge Florida following. But I've been a big fan. Um, hi, highly recommend checking them out, especially Statement. But I, I because I sent that recommendation to you, I ended up listening to that album. Just remembering how perfect of an album I think Statement is. If you like like the new metal hard rock kind of mixture of like rap rock, it's fantastic. Um, and then uh, I was introduced to a band I've never heard of called The Sparks. Thanks to my favorite director, Edgar Wright. Um, and this is part of uh, Sundance is happening right now. And it's it's virtual. So I was able to see a couple of movies from Sundance. The Sparks Brothers being one of them, which is the Edgar Wright directed documentary about this band called The Sparks. I've listened to some of their songs because of Edgar Wright's doc. The documentary is fantastic. Put it on your to watch list listeners. As soon as it's available, you should check it out. Uh, Edgar is a phenomenal director and he makes it one of the most engaging documentaries um, I've seen in a, in a while um, about musicians i mean it's engaging about musicians who again i knew nothing about um and there's such a sense of entertainment to the documentary for a minute i wasn't sure if it was fictional i was like did he make up this band but no there's 30 something albums so if he made up this band it's one of the most elaborate ruses ever uh because there's 30 albums of of this band's history so um it would have taken quite a bit of work to to fabricate any of it but uh with that i watched a movie at sundance called crypto zoo um, highly recommended by Big Tuna, kind of uh, encouraged me to, to shell out the money to watch it. It's very good, very weird, uh, great voice cast, very interesting art. Um, not something everyone's going to like, but if it clicks for you, it will click. Uh, and I've um, watched uh, Blind Spotting with my Film 3 class. I watched They Live for Movie Club, which that is out now. Um, I watched The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the animated film from Disney, and the live-action 101 Dalmatians for our podcast, Movie Astrology. And then I watched another Disney movie, um, The Great Mouse Detective, because my favorite uh, podcast, Blank Check Podcast, that's not ours, um, they just finished the Robert Zemeckis filmography. They just did the Witches episode, which they they felt about the same as we did with Witches, Matt. but they're they're next up. They're doing the the duo directors from um, the Great Mouse Detective, and uh, they they're more, a little more famous for uh, you know Aladdin and Little Mermaid and Moana. Um, I'm trying to get their names because their names are not coming to me. Uh, Ron Clements and John Musker are the next uh, de- directors that the Blank Check Podcast is going to be studying. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've only not seen two of their movies. I've not seen um, Treasure Planet or The Great Mouse Detective and The Great Mouse. The Great Mouse Detective was the oldest, so that's where I started. Um, I'm going to have to check out Treasure Planet. And thanks for Disney Plus. Very easy to do. Um, and I, I got to say, Great Mouse Detective, a lot of fun. Very much Sherlock Holmes, uh, but they don't they don't call it Sherlock Holmes, but it's very much Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was very good. And I'm um, I'm a huge fan of Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Moana, uh, Princess and the Frog, and Hercules are their other movies. And I, I love all of those. Um, I think... Moana maybe being my favorite, uh, which I know is blasphemous to say, but I love Moana's music so, so much. And that in part goes to Lin-Manuel Miranda. But um, yeah, so I listened to that episode of the podcast, watched those movies. And uh, lastly, I've been listening because my goal for this year, uh, a a resolution, if you will, is to read more books. So I am in the middle of um, Amy Poehler's uh, memoir, Yes, Please, from 2004. I'm a big Amy Poehler fan, and I got to say, uh, I didn't really know what her memoir was going to be. I, it's been great. Um, it's She's definitely embedded her humor, and she's reading the audiobook, and um, 
she has like other celebrities kind of show up randomly in the in the audiobook like Catherine Hepper uh, no I'm sorry Kathleen Turner um has been a, a voice a few times um uh Seth Meyers was on uh because they're good friends and uh, Patrick Stewart will ra- read random um no, entries it's... uh it's just random stuff it's it's really compelling it's very fun um it's a little all over the place but I think that fits her personality um uh, from what I you know actually that's one of the things I've been really enjoying is that the I feel like Leslie Nope is very much Amy Poehler. Like there's a lot of her in that character, which I find refreshing because I love Leslie Nope. So um, I recommend that book too, if you haven't had a chance. Oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I haven't had time to watch a movie for the last two days. Like my date, my, my hours are just like getting shoved together. Uh, so I finally jumped into the movies that made us on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about the Christmas ones earlier. I watched the elf and, um, was it the Grinch? I think they did. Um, and so I'm watching, uh, they did dirty dancing, which I watched that episode. Really good episode. I learned a little, some details about dirty dancing. I didn't know. And then, um, I just watched home alone, which is weird. Cause I could have done that one as the Christmas one, but for some reason it was just a regular one. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of home alone. And so like, um, hearing a lot of the, like the behind the scenes stories. Also, I had no idea, but like the entire house set was built in a gym on an abandoned school. <laughs> and right. like seeing the like the look of it i was just like wow i would have never guessed that was the set i always just assumed it was like a house i mean obviously the outside the exteriors are all a real house but like the interior stuff makes sense that it was on a soundstage because they tore the crap out of the house but the fact that they built it inside a gymnasium uh because it was a fairly low budget movie it, it's a really cool story uh, i think there's two more episodes i don't remember what movies they are but i i'm i'm a big fan of the series they, they did the toys that made us and they did other things that made us on netflix and it, they're, they're always pretty compelling um i i'm a sucker for nostalgia you know looking back especially as i'm i'm creeping towards 40 i hit 39 later this year so uh the more i look back on my childhood and like those things did define who i am as a person um so i've enjoyed watching uh, these these shows and that's what i've been consuming the usual array of quality there my friend um well the sparks crypto zoo and the sparks brothers are like you mentioned our friend big tuna uh mentioned those to me yesterday um, so I was asking him about <clears throat> what he'd been watching that Sundance or covering, sorry, um, with his coverage of Sundance. And I said, oh, JB mentioned Cryptozoo. And I said, he absolutely loved the Sparks Brothers. I know that for a damn show. But he said yeah. Cryptozoo is very exciting as well. Um, so I said, as soon as that gets any kind of like, distribution or, or becomes available for any in any way, either of them, then um, I'd like to jump on those. Yeah, I definitely recommend both. Um, I do think... Uh... CryptoZoo is going to be a little more polarizing than what you're going to get with like, I, I man, um, the step, the, the Sparks brothers is just like a feel good, like story. It's, they're super cool. Um, also their Q and a that we got to do, uh, at the end was really awesome because those guys, they're just so charming. Um, and again, like considering that they've been basically successful professional musicians for almost 50 years and yet are, almost unknown by your average person um and yet they are they're very humble but they're also like they don't seem angry or bitter that they're not more famous like they just seem like they love what they're doing and they're still making them they literally had an album come out last year Mm -hmm. so it's not like these are like old guys that were just doing like a retro no no they're still actively making music and it's different like i don't think there's an album that sounds exactly the same from from style to style like they are uh and they're usually ahead of the curve they're doing things that no one else has done yet. And then other people will then 
do and they just get more commercial success than the the stack the spark brothers i, I keep wanting to call them the stacks brothers i don't know why um but stacks. yeah but that's uh that's our media consumption guys check out these movies you know add them to your watch list on on letterbox uh the the ones from sundance and there's a bunch of movies from sundance i didn't get to see um i didn't have press access and i didn't i didn't actually apply because i didn't think there would be a chance that i would get it um and I didn't have the money to buy, to buy like their full pass. So I only bought, I was only going to see the Sparks brothers. Um, but big tuna was so adamant that I check out crypto zoo. So I, I spent like 30 bucks, uh, to see those two movies, which isn't too bad. Um, it's been a while since I spent $15 to see a movie because I haven't been going to the theater in, in a year. Um, but uh, it was, it was cool getting to see these movies. Um, I, I hope one of the things that I do hope happens with the, uh, with COVID as a result of COVID is that we get uh, festivals doing online versions every year. Um, you know, it, it's the, I get the reason for exclusivity to a degree, but the, a lot of the filmmakers there, they want people to see their movie. And if, if it opens up because we can see it online, you know, like again, cause some of these, some of the films at Sundance or like we saw at uh, Fantasia, it takes a year or two before you can see them anywhere. And usually it's only going to be digital anyways. Like a lot of people will never get the opportunity to see some of these festival movies on a big screen ever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's want. open them up early so that more people get the buzz. Cause then if more people are talking about it, bigger chance that it'll get a distribution deal onto a screen that then people will go see again. Like I'll go rewatch the Sparks brothers on a big screen. If it happens, documentaries don't often get big screen releases where I live. So odds are that won't happen, but I would totally watch it again on a big screen if I had the opportunity. And I think a lot of people would. So festivals don't take this away. You've got this technology established now. Um, everyone I've been to, cause this is like the fourth or fifth festival I've watched online stuff. Each one has gotten better and much more, um, uh, fine-tuned where there, there's a lot less technical errors and stuff because they're getting used to ha- how to manage it how to handle it um and so you know it's by the end of this year festivals will have this down to a science let's keep it going and maybe open it up a little bit so people in other countries can partake as well no i agree it's the only in, in terms of cinematically one of the only things to come out of this global lockdown which may kind of impact positively in the future is that i mean i'd love to to how we covered Fantasium with the Final Girls Fest and, and, and things like Sundance, the big, big festivals. You know, they, they've shown that they can virtually do it, like literally, literally do it virtually. And I, I wouldn't never to um, actually take away the thrill of being there, but they, like you say, have, have, have it screened at the festivals first, of course. That's where the buzz is. That's where people are there to generate the excitement. You know, you can virtually stream it afterwards, surely get people to pay for it the next day or 24 hours later or something like that. So then, you know, a limited amount of tickets or whatever, however you want to do it, virtual tickets and you know, make it more of a global event. I think if, people, if film festivals are niche for a reason, because the films that are played there are played for a select few. But, you know, after everything we've been through the last year, open things up a bit more we've shown that everybody could do with a bit of fun so open up the film festivals a bit more for those who i'd love to go to tiff but i can't just you know can't just get in the get on the get on the bike and cycle there and those who deserve to be there and can get there should absolutely get the experience of being there and seeing those films first and meeting the filmmakers and joining the q a's but then what about the people around the rest of the world who might some of these films may not get it distribution in certain territories for two three years later now, what's wrong with opening it up like or even like a week later or something like that 
via the Sundance or the TIFF website. There you go, stream the film on there, 30 bucks or 20 bucks or 20 quid. There you go, you can watch the film. Great. And it's all, um, and you've paid them, so it's all encoded, so you can't steal it or however they want to do it. Um, it's shown that they can do it, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm just digging everyone's coverage of the festivals at the minute. The festival season starting again in, in earnest, so bring it exactly. on. Well, that's our consumption, listeners. Let's look at the reality of this podcast, though. Without effort, it would be impossible to bring the level of bloody awesomeness necessary week after week, movie after movie, Netflix after Netflix, that we have to bring to this show if we didn't make some kind of concerted effort to keep it up, to keep the levels where they need to be. So, Matt, how, sir... Have you been saying bloody awesome? Tea, green tea, my friend. I've um, I've I'm trying to just detox a bit. All I ever do is drink. I'm British. All I ever do is drink tea and coffee. But um, I'm told that it's not always that good for you. Uh, even though they say, even though I read some places that yeah, a couple, a couple of cups of tea a day is actually really good for you. Um, so I thought, no, let's detox. Let's go for some green tea. Let's take the plunge and still get that kind of like tea hit because it's got the word tea in it. But it detoxes you, it cleanses you out. It's good for you. Um, and in this time of trying to stay bloody awesome and uh, <laughs> bloody healthy, then green tea seems to be the way forward. So I have transitioned over. Not not fully. I'll never give up my uh, my tea leaves and cow juice. But green tea, it's not as bad as I remember, as I thought it was, actually. And I, I will eventually transition to fruit teas as well. So I can uh, lose touch of my roots and really go full full so- continental. Can I can I be a, an American for a second? Um, are you an Earl Grey tea drinker, or is there a different? No, it's just I don't know. It's just called like traditional tea. I mean, you get you get a it's just tea really. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Okay, because so you get obviously you get Earl Grey, you get breakfast tea uh, and things like that. But this is just I don't know, like just strong tea, or um, I don't know what would be called just everyday tea. I guess it's just a fairly it's str- it's stronger than what you guys have over there because I've tried the tea over there and. Wasn't strong enough for my taste buds, so I had to bring my own last time, which was about fifteen years ago. Last time I came over, but um, I'll take any kind of tea. But and, green tea is fine. Put, I don't mind Earl Grey though. And you do put milk in your tea, from what I just heard, huh? I do. Yes, not an awful. I don't put sugar in. I'm not a heathen, but um, I do put in. But sometimes I'll go. Uh, sometimes I'll go nude and have no have no milk. Same as coffee. I generally stick a bit of milk in, but. Depends how I'm feeling. I'm not adverse to a black tea or a black coffee, my friend. But green to tea not. to keep yourself healthy. I'm a big. I'm a. I, I am now a black coffee drinker for the most part. Every once in a while, I'll drop like a stevia or a Splenda in there. But I, mm. I that was a, a to lose weight choice to get rid of the calories from the milk. Would well, I um, say black coffee is good for you? Apparently, it's somehow. Mm-hmm. And I drink a lot of decaf too, because I drink a lot, so I, I yeah. do decaf most of the time. But should um, we do that as well? Yeah, I, I think green tea often is decaf. Um, I don't know if all green tea is, but um, I like green tea. Uh, I have I have some tea in my my cupboard, but it's definitely probably on the weaker side. Um, that said, I have been uh, expanding my cardio uh, from just running and just using the treadmill, and I started using the rowing machine um, at my uh, local gym. Uh, yes, because again, Florida is acting like nothing is happening. I have been going to a gym. I do wear a mask, and the gym I go to has a mask rule. I don't fully love the mask rule. It's not. It's not quite good enough it's as though they're ignoring part of how the 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 virus spreads but uh it's still better than some other gyms that don't have mask rules um but i have been using the rowing machine which i had been afraid to try in the past because i didn't know if i could i didn't know if i could last 
like more than a, a couple of minutes doing it. Um, and I didn't want to look stupid. And also I have had some knee problems in my life. My knees have definitely improved after running for a year. Uh, I think I've, which is surprising. I guess they should have gotten worse, but I guess maybe using them, they were like, Hey, you know what? We can function. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed the rowing machine. I find it a, a really full body kind of cardio workout. And um, it reminds me, I, I kind of picture myself as a Winklevoss from the social network as I'm doing it. And just, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I wish I was that, you know, Ar- Arnie Army Hammer uh, looking, but nonetheless, that's in my head. I'm like, I'm a part of this crew of rowing and um, I've enjoyed it. I've liked it quite a bit. So it's been added to my rotation uh, at my gym. Um, as long as that's the only Army Army Hammer-esque things you do, mate. Right. Yes. There's some definite <laughs> roles I do not want to mirror, but um, I would not mind getting stock in Facebook if Mark Zuckerberg wants to pay me off uh, as he did the Winklevosses. But um I don't know what I what I made that he stole, but you know I'm sure there's something he stole of mine. I have been on Facebook for a long time. So um, that said, that's how we've been staying bloody awesome. Next week we're gonna be back. Uh, hopefully, even more bloody awesome. Maybe doubled, maybe tripled. Who knows? The week might be good, uh, and maybe maybe by half. You know, it might be a long week. We'll see what happens, but we'll still be at least registering on the bloody awesome meter um, because we're going to be reviewing a movie that I'm actually probably the most excited about from Netflix in a long time. Mm. Um, Cause there's been a lot of Netflix movies where I'm like, Oh boy, um, I guess we'll review that. Um, this one, I'm actually like, I can't wait to watch. I'm a little disappointed. I haven't already got to see it. Uh, a lot of other people have got to see it. Um, and I, uh, it, we're going to be talking about Malcolm and Marie I'm trying to get the stats and I cannot pull it up on Letterboxd for some reason because I don't have anything. But uh, it stars John David Washington and Zendaya um, or Zendaya, depending on how you want to say it. I um, I think it looks fantastic. I can't wait to watch it. It drops on Netflix on February 5th. And so we'll be talking about it next week. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you, my friend. Um, I'm interested to hear your takes on certain uh, parts of the film or messages that are imbued within it. Um but it's an interesting one, and I'm looking forward to your take on it. And look, JDW and Zendaya, you, you think it's going to be good, don't you, man? I do. Uh, I mean, just the trailer sold me on it alone. And plus, I, I'm a sucker for talky, uh, like dialogue-heavy movies anyways, and yeah. this one has that vibe to it. So um, in the meantime, listeners, if you want to reach out to us, give us your thoughts about the movie or uh, give us your thoughts about – uh, this movie, the little things that we reviewed today, or anything else that we've said or done or upset you with, uh, you can reach out to us on the socials. Um, on Instagram, we're at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod, and on Twitter, we're at BAMP underscore podcast, B A M P underscore podcast. And if you're still on Zuckbook, you can uh, search for us at Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. That's Facebook, in case you didn't follow that stupid joke. Um, and then individually, you can follow me at BurkeReviews.com and on all the socials at Burke Reviews. And Matt, where are you? Uh, what I watch tonight.co.uk and to search what I watch tonight across all those socials too. And if you will gladly take just a moment to tell everybody else how bloody awesome we actually are by getting on your uh, podcast catcher, uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, and telling people that you love the show, give us that five star review. It helps other listeners find us. Um, and with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blood, 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 bl